Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. Today's Issues is the name of this year's show. I'm Tim Wildman with Ed Vitagliano. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Tim. Fred Jackson. Good morning. Guys, I think I'm going to run for Speaker of the House. <laughs> uh, you, have as, you have as good a chance as anyone else, apparently. Well, I, I just need to know that you guys are going to vote for me should I submit my name. Uh, but I've been thinking about it all morning. You know, You've been thinking about running? All morning. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, no, uh, what's the latest, Fred, on the uh, round four will begin in about an hour's time. Okay, and now. There were three for, votes yesterday. Right. And Kevin McCarthy uh, failed on each of those three votes because there are 19 and now 20, actually, Republicans who say they don't want Kevin McCarthy. Uh, in fact, they would uh, prefer Jim Jordan. Now, there's one problem with that. Uh, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan says he doesn't want the job. No, he voted for Kevin McCarthy. And, and he's voting for Kevin McCarthy. So, who's, so you was, actually could win, Tim. It's a comedy skit up there, huh? Yeah, if uh, you're wearing jerseys. <laughs> well, okay, let, let me just clarify something. This is this is serious business, and, and the people who are voting against Kevin McCarthy – have their reasons, and uh, they they are some some of the finest people we have in our Congress. So I don't want to make I don't want to lampoon the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? But it is uh, just it is getting comedic that we're going to round four now. Now I would think, which is is it unprecedented in the history of our country? We uh, ha- we haven't had anything go to a second vote uh, for a hundred years. So, yeah. Yeah, 1923 was 23. the last. Yeah. Okay, for those who don't know, uh, the way this works, the Speaker of the House of the Representatives is the third most important constitutional position in the United States behind the president and the vice president. President, in fact, the Speaker of the House is third in line uh, in secession to be president should something happen to the uh, president the vice president of the United States. So it's a – and – uh, the the power of the purse. I mean, it's an extremely yeah. important position. So, uh, the the what what happened is the Republicans took over after November. They got a majority of the uh, House, and now they have to select their leader mm-hmm. and uh, the leader of the House of Representatives. And so, ninety percent of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. I don't have. I haven't put the, my math to this on paper, but I'm just speaking. Off the top of my head here, 90% have said we're, we want Kevin McCarthy, the congressman from California, who's been the minority leader, to be our House Speaker. 10% said, nope, he's uh, not good enough, uh, and we don't want him, and we're going to vote against him. And it's just that small number that's needed to prevent him from getting the number that he's needed to uh, to become Speaker of the House. I hope that clarifies some of that. So that's what's going on. So they keep voting and they keep voting until you get the number. 218. You got to have yes. that majority. Or Kevin McCarthy bows out. Somebody else's name is submitted and they vote on that person. But uh, 
do you is there any word on surely Kevin McCarthy uh will be uh voted on yes well if you're going to go to round 4 yeah see that that's that's my question my question is let's and again we'll just say this yeah. this these 20 house republicans are they simply making a point now they've been demanding certain concessions from Kevin McCarthy before they will vote for him I don't know how reasonable or unreasonable all of those are, but the, my question is: Are they are they just waiting for those concessions and then they'll say, "Okay, fine, we're voting for Kevin McCarthy," or are they essentially? I'm going to phrase it this way: I don't mean this in a, as negative as it's going to sound. Or are they holding the election of the House Speaker hostage until Kevin McCarthy bows out? Because then, I guess Jim Jordan is probably. Uh, the, the next uh, in line in terms of who would get the most votes. So, so I get, I'm thinking we'll find out on this fourth vote. Rumble in the next couple of hours, Fred. You think? Yeah, uh, in about 50 minutes they reconvene. Of course, there's also an incident back in history when it took two months. Two months. When it was took, that? Oh, I'm beyond the 100 years, I guess. But it took two months to get to a to to a vote when it was finally resolved. So you're saying that in our past things have been just as contentious? Yeah. You know they used to have sometimes have have had fist fights on the House floor. Yes. Back in the 1800s, I mean, it, it's it's people think it's never been this contentious. Yeah, it has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and depending you know, as you pointed out, Tim, there are good people on both sides of this. Uh, Newt Gingrich, who is a former House Speaker, he is a Kevin McCarthy fan. He is not a fan of the uh, 20 uh, who, he says, are holding things up. Cut number two. If you look at who donated and who campaigned and who helped, Kevin did more than all 20 of them combined to create the majority. So they've got a leader who helped win seats in 2020 when the rest of the party was going down. He helped win seats in 2022. Mm-hmm. He's crisscrossed the country in 49 states in the last cycle. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, if you look at how much he helped raise for some of these blackmailers, it's embarrassing. <laughs> the people there who got millions of dollars for their campaign from Kevin and his allies, and they don't care. I mean, I, yeah. I don't so understand the psychology. I think this is a psychological problem, right. not a political problem. Now, in the first two rounds of voting yesterday, there were 19 Republicans. When it came to the third round, there were 20. And number 20 became Byron Donalds, who in the first two rounds voted for McCarthy. But he says he switched his vote to Jordan because the conference was starting to look bad. Here's what he had to say. Cut number three. I had signaled to people I would vote for Kevin on ballot one. I was possible on a ballot two. I made that vote. At that point, we were basically deadlocked, and it was pretty clear that he didn't have the votes. And I think that it was actually not in a good place for the Republican conference to stay on the House floor yesterday and continuously vote. Look, a lot of people back home are trying to figure out what's going on on Capitol Hill. But what we are really having is a deliberative process about House leadership and about what is needed to get Washington back on track. For too long in the nation's capital, everybody has just gone along with the next wave of leadership. And that's not an anti-Kevin McCarthy statement. That is a statement about what a deliberative, open process means for the constitutional republic that is the United States of America. What uh, the the 20, one of the things the 20 keep uh, bringing up is that they believe Kevin McCarthy is 
is part of the swamp, part of the establishment, that he hasn't worked hard enough to fight it. Uh, let's let's just say the the latest budget that was passed was a one point seven trillion or whatever it was. Uh, that he should have stood strong against that. So they're wanting to change things. They get up, uh, you know, representatives of these 20, they get up and say, look, we have to stop spending and wasting money, and we need leadership that will stand against the Democrats on that front. They do not believe that McCarthy will do that. So that's where the fight is right now. Now, yeah. last night we're told they, they called in uh, pizzas and Chick-fil-A. There were meetings, strategy sessions late into the night last night. Now, I just saw a quote from Kevin McCarthy just in the last few minutes. He was asked what the strategy is today. He says it's the same as yesterday. So if, if that is the case, if they did not come to some kind of concessions last night in those late-night meetings, then we're likely in round four in about 45 minutes to see the same results as we saw yesterday. Well, this this round four will tell me personally whether this group of 20 conservative uh, Republicans mm-hmm. uh, intends to make a deal, whether Kevin McCarthy is of a mind to make a deal, or if they are trying to get him to step down by going on seven ballots, eight ballots. So because they made their point yesterday, if their point was we don't think Kevin McCarthy's uh, either conservative enough or that he has the intent to change the rules about how things are done in the House, which I absolutely agree with. I can't I, I can't stand the way the House or the Senate, either one of them, both, uh, the way they do business. Mm-hmm. The rules need to change. Okay, and whether Kevin McCarthy will do that or not, I, I honestly don't know. But, um, you know, t- to me... They made their point yesterday. Uh, if it was just to make that point, and then uh, maybe there's some concessions. But if they just are going to, if this is a hill to die on, mm-hmm. then they'll vote against. They will not vote for McCarthy here in this fourth mm-hmm. ballot. Yep, and that'll that'll tell me that this thing could drag on. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, and what you're getting is you're getting a, you're getting also some tension, and stress and angst and even anger among uh, uh, Republicans themselves. Yes. This isn't a Democrat v. Republican thing. So you're going to find those supporting McCarthy ready to get on with the business at hand. They would say uh, fighting the Democrats and Biden, uh, and they're going to be upset with if they vote again against uh, uh, McCarthy, uh, excuse me, yes, Kevin McCarthy, then you know, it's going to, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what, but uh, I would think before they would hold another vote, they would know what the outcome is going to be, and it would be in favor of him becoming the majority leader. Otherwise, don't hold a vote or either tell McCarthy, we're never voting for you, uh-huh. the 20 or so, and so they're going to have to submit another name. And then you f- fraction the party, Yeah. Uh, call, the uh, what, do you, what do you call it, the conference, as they call it, even further, I, I don't. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna just gonna say now, uh, Chip Roy mm-hmm. had. Do we are we gonna? Uh, do we have you, that clip? Are we gonna play? May I set that? that up? Yeah, because it was you sent it around yeah. last night. It was it was a to me a very good explanation 
about how things – I'm sorry, you were going to set it. No, how long is it? Okay, it's long, but do we have time to play it? Okay, it's long, but it's worth playing. Okay, set this up real briefly. Chip Roy is a, a Republican congressman from Texas, uh, just a very patriotic fella who is uh, – he, he's uh, he and I are probably going to agree on 99.9% of the things. Ooh. Maybe we have different college football teams, but that's probably going to be about <laughs> – the only thing we disagree on, maybe. Uh, but he is, he lays out in the clip you're about to hear on the House floor w- the reasons why he feels, and many in the, uh, in his, among his friends in the Freedom Caucus, feels the way they do. They're tired of business as usual in the way that the process is conducted and, and the games that are played. And, uh, Here's how he laid it out yesterday or yesterday. So this is what the chamber looks like when we're actually debating and the bodies are in the chairs. How many times have we been down here giving speeches and there's not a soul in the chamber? Yet this is what it takes to get 440, 435 people in the chamber and have an actual debate. The American people are watching, and that's a good thing. What we're doing is exercising our rights to vote and have a debate and have a discussion about the future of this country through the decision of choosing a speaker. This is not personal. It's not. This is about the future of the country. This is about the direction of the country. American people who are looking at this body and wondering why we can pass $1.7 trillion bills that are unpaid for. They can just slide in $45 billion for Ukraine, but not pay for it. $40 billion for emergency spending and not pay for it. 10% increase in defense spending. 6% increase in non-defense spending and not pay for it. And not do a thing except put language in a bill that prohibits our ability to use the money to secure the border. That bill gets rammed through, and we know exactly how it gets rammed through. Because the defense world and the non-defense world come together and say, you know what? We're going to cut a deal, and we'll all go to the mics, and we're all going to give speeches, and the American people are the big losers. That's what happens. We know that's what happens. The Rules Committee sits up there and passes a bill, sends it to the floor, and we have no debate on the floor of this body. We haven't been able to offer an amendment on the floor of this body since May of 2016. The former leader and I have discussed this right here. That's true. But the fact is, this place has to change. It has to change. And the change comes by either adopting rules and procedures that will make us actually do our job, or it comes from leadership. And people ask me, what do you want? I want the tools or I want the leadership to stop the swamp from running over the average American every single day. We can't keep doing this. I'm going to sit here until we figure out how to stop spending money we don't have. I don't want any more empty promises. I don't want any more, oh, don't worry, trust us, we'll do it. I want to know that we're going to be able to exercise our rights as a member of this body to stand up for the American people and actually fix this country. And it's not going to happen when we use our men and women in uniform in defense and wrap ourselves around that and then spend more money that we don't have 
weakening that defense, weakening our country in the process. But that's what we just did. Ladies and gentlemen, I am asking for us to come together and figure out how to solve these problems. And to do that, I'm going to do what I did my very first act as a member of Congress or as a congressman-elect and nominate Jim Jordan for speaker. Now, Jim has said he doesn't want that nomination, and Jim has been down here nominating Kevin, and I respect that. And again, I have no personal animus towards Kevin. And I've worked for the last two months to try to figure out how to get the rules to make this place better, and we've made progress. But we do not have the tools or the leadership yet to stop the swamp for rolling over the American people. Jim has been doing it. He has a track record of doing it. And for those reasons, I am nominating Jim Jordan from Ohio for Speaker of the House of Representatives. Okay, so... <clears throat> I think a lot of our listeners understand how the game's played here, and it is a game. And uh, 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 as it as it pertains to the budgetary process, or the out of control federal government spending, mm-hmm. uh, Chip Roy, there, the congressman from Texas, cited at one point seven dollar, one point seven trillion dollar uh, budget uh, bill that passed, yeah. spending bill, uh, omnibus mm-hmm. bill. Okay, here's why this matters. I mean, you know, I know we start throwing around numbers like this and the process and voting and, you know, sometimes your eyes glaze over and you go, uh, well, what time does the game start? Right. You know, right. <laughs> I can't I can't digest and comprehend all this stuff. Okay, what does that really mean to me? What Chip Roy is saying there and what some of the, especially the Republicans are saying in the Senate and the House is this. We're we're spending we're on the road to to a financial disaster. We're on we're on the yellow brick road to financial disaster, and we can see financial disaster Emerald City from where from where we are. Okay, and. You like what I did there? Yeah, that was on the fly. Throwing I mean, some I got monkeys. I can start rapping if you want me to. <laughs> Throwing some flying monkeys, and I'm going to have the chills. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the flying monkeys would be a great freestyle rapping group. You got to admit. Yeah. Okay. Now back to my point, and I do have one. And and what? So what he's warning against is we can't every year keep adding trillions of dollars to our to our national debt. Uh, because one day that's going to blow up in our faces, and we're going to have a a, 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 a it's not going to be a recession. It's going to be a um, a, well, depre- be a worldwide a, depression. Depression, okay. And he's also saying that if we're going to put things in the budget, they need to be they need to be uh, uh, paid for. I mean, that's just logic one hundred and one, right? right. Mm-hmm. They need to be paid for. We need to show, okay. We have a, a a balance sheet here, and the income fits the outcome, so to yeah. speak. And he's saying he's calling out the people that are up there in D.C. who just keep voting yes on these spending bills, Republicans and Democrats, keeping us going um, trillions of debt more into debt. We're at thirty three now, and he's saying, and they're saying, there's got to be some some accountability here, mm-hmm. okay. And so what the people who are there who are playing games, quite frankly, and some of them are our friends, he's saying, Chip Roy is saying, they wrap themselves, the Republicans especially who would do this, they wrap themselves in 
in the, in the defense, uh, supporting the soldiers and, and, yes. and national security, we've got to vote for that. So if it means I vote for all this other crazy leftist stuff so I can get my defense spending bill passed, so be it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Even if it means we go into debt further and further into debt. And, and so is Chip Roy saying, no, that that's got to stop. And he's also calling out the Democrats too, but you know, they're, but the Democrats don't care. That's right. I've heard they listen. I read uh, like the number three ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives. I could go back and find this. I read it about a year ago. He just said out loud. He said, "Listen, there's no limit to how much money we can spend or borrow because we're the United States of America, we're the world's reserve c- currency, and so don't talk to me about limits." That's what he right. said. Right. Yes. That's we'll, what he said. We'll print more, basically. Well, he, he he did say that. Yeah. Exactly. That. He said, we'll just print more money. Yeah. So that's the view of the Democrats, that there is no limit to the debt we can go into uh, or the money that we can spend as a federal government. There is no accountability for a budgetary process. So anyway, I know that's a long way, but that's why there's, that's why, but Chip Roy and some of his colleagues have said, yeah, there is, and there's going to be um uh, there's going to be a, a f- financial ruin down the road for our country if we keep spending trillions of dollars more than we have in income. You know, since the House, since all spending bills are supposed to originate in the House, right? the House of Representatives, right? if you had the right rules in place, you could start January 3rd when Congress begins the new session and you could change the rules and say, we're not going to do omnibus bills this year. That's right. We are going to do bills one at a time. And no amendments can be offered unless it has to do we got a highway bill. That's first on our list. We're going to we're going to debate allocating x number of billions of dollars to improve bridges and highways in this country. You're not going to add an amendment for a petting zoo in your district. All right? You're not going to do any of that. You're going to up and down on a spending bill for the high, you could do that. And if they would want to work all year round, they would come up with a bill here, a bill there, yeah. defense spending, those kind of things without all the pork stuffed in it. And without these huge omnibus bills that nobody has time to read and which contains Tim, you got your pork for your district. I got my pork for my district. I'm going to vote for it. Wink, wink. We're both going to be able to go right. home and say, Hey, I brought home the bacon. Right. Reelect me. Right. You could start off with the House, and I think that's what Chip Roy is saying. You've got to change the rules here in the House. How this works. This is how this works. It's irresponsible how we're doing things, and, right. it's, and it's reckless is what he's saying. And he's right because what they do is they, they uh, intentionally, in my view, Republicans and Democrats who are part of the swamp, they intentionally allow the – the budgetary process to come to the last second and mm-hmm. in, in, in this case, last no, uh, December. And then they say, we've got it here. Here it is. And you got 45 minutes to vote yes or no. Yeah. Uh, otherwise the United States of America defaults mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and the government doesn't. Then a 2000 page bill. 4,000, 4,000. Yeah. 4,000. Yeah. 4, yeah. And so, um, you know, I think it was Paul Ryan who said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this in a in an orderly process like you're describing. Yeah. Of course, he didn't last long. Mm-hmm. Paul Ryan didn't. 
Uh, and I know he had some faults, but I mean, that, I remember him talking about we need to do this. Uh, there's a there's a, a, a procedure that they that they've gone by that they need to go by. And they don't. And and that fa- that effort failed because everybody loves them some bacon. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the aisle. Yeah. All right, we'll be back momentarily. We're going to talk to Abraham Hamilton III. Uh, I want to ask him how they caught this uh, suspect for the Idaho murders. Dear One Million Moms, I've always thought that maybe your organization was making a mountain out of a molehill. But today, I cannot believe what I just saw on my TV. Concerned about the trash flowing into your home through today's media that simply will not censor itself? Make your voice heard. If you see trash in the media, tell us. Use the Submit Trash button at 1millionmoms.com. That's 1millionmoms.com. And thanks. The changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, on our spiritual heritage tours in June and September of 2023, we're going to be going to the Arlington National Cemetery as one of our stops. And we'll be seeing the gravesite of John F. Kennedy. We'll be going to the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier that I just mentioned, which is just a, a very patriotic place to be in those hallowed grounds of Arlington National Cemetery. So it's going to be just one of our stops on one of our days. We're going to see the Capitol building. We're going all over Washington, D.C., including Mount Vernon, George Washington's home. So if you want to go with us, then go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com. Spiritualheritagetours.com. The itinerary, the cost, the dates, everything is there. Spiritualheritagetours.com. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. The youngest member of Congress is having a hard time finding an apartment. Florida Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost is 26 years old, the first Gen Zer member of Congress, making headlines by announcing he could not afford to rent an apartment in Washington, D.C., telling ABC News he will probably have to couch surf until he can find his own place. Very odd seeing how our lawmakers make $174,000 a year. Mr. Frost said he has bad credit. That's why he can't afford the first and last month's rent. Says working class people like himself are at a disadvantage. Well, maybe Mr. Frost ought to consider cutting back on whole food, soy lattes, and avocado toast brunches. Florida's 10th congressional district, ladies and gentlemen, just elected a man who has bad credit and can't balance a checkbook. I'm sure he'll fit in just fine on Capitol Hill. I'm Todd Starnes. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. American Family Radio. This is Today's Issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. 
Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. Welcome back, everybody, to today's issues on the American Family Radio Network. Tim, Ed, and Fred, and we thank you for listening. The uh, email we have here is comments at AFR.net if you want to use that to send us an email. Again, as long as it's positive and encouraging. Comments at AFR.net. Ed, Ed, I'm thinking you and I probably need to do maybe like a six-hour podcast on (laughs) the federal government budgetary process. We, yes, well, I, I, there are a lot are of people you, suffering from insomnia this time of year, Tim. So I'm thinking if you and I. Six hours? Yeah, just break it down. <laughs> what do you think? Maybe go into some Six detail? hours. I'd be struggling for six minutes to just fill right. six minutes. Or uh, you would fall asleep? No, I'm just yeah. talking about. Uh, content? Tr- trying to explain how that process works yeah. up there. Okay. Well, uh, if the uh, announcement comes, whether or not Kevin McCarthy will be selected our elected Speaker of the House, we, we, you, you said we'll know yes or no in the next hour, Fred? Yeah, they start voting in about half an hour. This will be the fourth round, and so we'll find out. I, I do have one thing to add for, for, to our discussion. Well, you had before that. the uh, Yes, before the break. Uh, was, I just uh, had a chance here during the break to glance at our Facebook page. Uh-huh. By the way, you can watch this show on Facebook. Just search right. for Today's Issues. Or you can go to our streaming platform, streaming.afa.net. But uh, Lisa made a good comment on the uh, in the comments of our Facebook page. Uh, I was talking about how the House, if they set new rules, could determine how spending bills. Well, during during the break, bet- not the break, but the period between the midterm election and the end of the congressional session, of course, they passed that big spending bill. Yes. So there is not, not going to be a spending bill uh, till October. Till October. So they they there are people who are very upset uh, with the members with the Republicans, including in the Senate, who allows the Democrats to pass this big spending bill at the end of 2022 and basically cutting off at the knees the new Congress before it comes into session. So, Lisa, excellent point. Uh, There will be no there will be no spending bills coming out of the out of the house. Those those were those uh, Republicans, uh, senators, uh, 16 of them or 14 of them. How many? Yeah. Who voted with the Democrats to pass that omnibus one point seven omnibus. Now, their their defense would be we can't shut down the government. And I understand that. But that proves that 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 the system is broken. Broken. And that's As what Chip Roy was talking yes. about. He said, he said, I've been trying to work with people to fix the system because it's broken. He didn't say Democrat, but Republican. Right. Uh, he never said that. Yeah. And that he said the system, the process is right. broken and we've got to fix it. But we contend here, I think, that a lot of the congressmen and senators like the fact that it's a broken system. Yes. Because it gives them cover and to spend like drunken sailors with right. my apologies to drunken sailors <laughs> and then and then uh i, I don't mean to say i know it sounds uh fatalistic's not the word but uh i know it's sarcastic uh, i get accused of that from time to time too uh these people who are a lot of these people who are they're they're 70 years old right okay up there 60 70 or older they're gonna be sipping ginger ale <laughs> at the country club, you know, or eating pudding somewhere while they're walking on their cane. Right. You know, uh, 
and nothing wrong with walking on a cane. I'll be there one day should I live long enough. But I'm just saying, or either they'll be dead and gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to have to suffer the consequences of the financial calamity that's coming our way. Right. Because they keep spending us yes. into, uh, again, right. t- towards uh, ob- oblivion. oblivion. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yes, it does. Glad to make sense. All right. Uh, you're listening to today's issues. Fred, we promise we'll let you speak more. Okay. Sometime this half hour. Sure. Uh, Ed keeps hogging the, I know. I hogging the mic. It. Can't help it. Good night. Give me a six-hour podcast. <laughs> to exp- <laughs> and we, we, <laughs> to exp- explain the federal government budgetary process. Yeah, that's right. Boy, that would be That's a winner. That would be interesting. I bet they'd get seven or eight hits, <laughs> if that's what you call them, or downloads. <laughs> seven or eight. All right. So um, changing subjects here. Uh, uh, and one of the uh, news stories, Fred, that's been out there is uh, – in terms of national news, is the uh, Idaho... Yes, the slaying of the four Idaho students. Uh, there's now a man that's been charged with that, 28-year-old Brian Koberger. In fact, while we're sitting here, uh, he is being flown uh, from a court hearing in Pennsylvania yesterday back to Moscow, Idaho, where they're getting a jail cell ready for him. Uh, he did not fight extradition during the hearing yesterday. Uh, His lawyer says he's very anxious to uh, let the world know that he's not guilty. uh, He doesn't act like it. I mean, with with the picture, huh? Doesn't act anxious? No, he doesn't act like, man, if I was arrested and I was innocent of four savage murders, Mm -hmm. I'd be showing some emotion and I'd be saying, what the heck? You got the wrong guy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's not. He just... He's not acting like, at least in the public pictures or videos that yeah. we're seeing. Um, all right, so I want to know how they caught this guy. Uh, uh, in a word, uh, DNA evidence. Okay, I hadn't watched Nancy Grace on this. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought Abraham Hamilton III in, who's uh, Abe's uh, heard each afternoon on the Hamilton Corner here on AFR from 5 to 6 o'clock Central Time experienced prosecutor yes prior to coming on staff here with us at afa and afr abe was uh, in the law enforcement business as a assistant district attorney in the new orleans area so he's prosecuted many uh cases many murder cases i'm sure and in houston texas and houston yes and so uh uh i just i was curious about how they ended up catching this guy so abe you there i am here i am here yeah Okay, Abe, uh, take us through. You followed this case? Yeah, and, and little known fact, literally the week before I moved to, to come to AFA, I just finished a week-long murder trial. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that, but yep. Okay. Well, talk about this situation uh, because this was, you know, uh, shocked the nation. Four college yeah. students brutally, savagely murdered in the middle of the night with a butcher knife or some kind of knife. November 13th. November 13th. It was a long time ago, and people yeah. were antsy about it. And, and there was no uh, video footage uh, of somebody going into the home. It was a party house is what it was. You wondered how this could possibly happen. There seemed to be no leads. The police weren't getting, weren't saying anything much. As it turns out, the police and the FBI were working, but they couldn't come out every day to the public and say, hey, here's what we found today. Anyway, mm-hmm. but take me through, uh, Abe, how without, without uh, you know, uh, uh, witnesses or video surveillance cameras or home security alarms or 
of those kinds of things, how in the world did they end up catching this guy? And I must say, this, he's allegedly, right? As we have mm-hmm. to use that term legally and journalistically, allegedly until the until the fellow's convicted, if that happens. But go ahead, Abe, take us through this. Yeah, there there were two uh, critical pieces of evidence that led the police to. Uh, This particular suspect, the first and most potent of the evidence sources was DNA evidence, as Fred mentioned. Um, So when cases like this, what has to happen is that the police go in and when you find DNA evidence, as you mentioned, Tim, it was a party house. So the police invariably would have had to identify various portions of DNA that they found on the scene, blood evidence, hair evidence, skin cells, things of that nature. And what most likely occurred is that they were able to identify DNA from the victims. And then you have additional DNA samples that if it does not match any of the victims, was whose DNA is this? Well, with the ascendancy of genealogy services like 23andMe and other places like that, law enforcement has started to utilize these public genealogy databases as evidentiary sources. And so in this case, what transpired is that the foreign DNA specimen that they found, they submitted it to various DNA, uh, various genealogy databases with the law enforcement investigatory uh, instruction that if you have a hit on any DNA that is comparable or similar to the specimen we submitted, you you are ordered by order of a court uh, via search warrant to communicate that information to us. So in in this instance, one of the DNA sources uh, pointed the police to this particular suspect. The secondary evidentiary source was there, there was testimony that there was a particular vehicle outside of the, the, the scene nearby at the time of the murders that transpired. It was a white Hyundai Elantra and it come, come to find out. When they matched the specimen to to the genealogy database specimen, it said it was this particular individual. And it turns out that he had a vehicle, a white Hyundai Elantra, that was issued to him. Now, some people may think the DNA recovered from the scene and the confirmatory hit from the database is sufficient. That is not sufficient to prosecute the case in total, but it is sufficient to get an arrest warrant. So what you can invariably anticipate to happen in the pendency of this case is that the law enforcement agencies will secure a search warrant for what's called a buccal swab specimen from the suspect while in custody to confirm whether or not the specimen that they recovered from the scene matches what they recover from the suspect's body itself in order to prove this case. So it's very, very unique and it's controversial in some senses uh, because you have some saying that when people submit their information to these genealogy databases, they don't expect to become the subject of a criminal investigation. But in response to that, law enforcement says you have a reasonable expectation, expectation of privacy based on things you do privately. But when you have databases that reveal that you're submitting this to a public entity that could be subject to search warrant, very search warrants, although it's far more intimate than this, but it's very similar to like cell phone data. You know, the law enforcement agencies subpoena cell phone companies and tower information on a very regular basis using some of the same rationale. Uh, even though it's a private person's phone number, if there are indications of things that indicate that this person may be implicated in the crime, there are law enforcement tools available to get co- court orders and search warrants to secure even that data. 
Okay, Abe, I watch Law & Order a lot, all the reruns, so <laughs> that makes me an expert. Dun-dun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, not real life. <laughs> no, go ahead. And you would know. Uh, but at this point, if I'm the lawyer for 28-year-old Brian Koberger, I say, okay, he remembers that he went to a party because that was a party house. He went to a sure. party there one time. That explains why his DNA was in the house. How do you fight okay. that as a prosecutor? Oh, very simply. DNA being in the house is a lot different from DNA being on the deceased victim's bodies, in their bodies, or on the murder weapon. <laughs> if there ever is a recovery of a murder weapon. To date, far, as far as I understand, there has been no recovery of the murder weapon. That's right. Uh, but it appears that DNA was recovered not from generally in the house, but even on the person of the victims. I, I guess, too, also, what possibly could be the motivation? Because there's been no yeah. indication that this guy knows any of the victims that hasn't been talked about yet yeah and the law enforcement agencies have explicitly said that they will they will not release that information that they are going to keep that information until uh the prop till the, till the case is either tried or it will be limited to being conveyed to the attorneys in in the the discovery phases of the particular case uh, but there has been no public discourse about that i do find it interesting uh, that the suspect is uh, studying graduate level studies in criminal justice. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting uh, to factor in. But as far as I understand it, uh, the law enforcement agencies have said they will keep all of that information, motive information, things of that nature, uh, private until the case is tried, if it goes to trial. All right, Abe, I want to ask a question that's probably very, very simplistic, uh, only because I do not watch Law & Order. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I have in the past. But I, I, You know what I like about Law & Order? And I, I, I have I, I watched it some over the years. I'm not yeah. a Law and Order addict or anything like yeah. that. But their their um, stereotype, their go to, is for the uh, two investigators, whoever they are. Yeah. Uh, the scene is they show the address right in New York, wherever they're going to. Right. And then the next scene is the person they go to ask questions of, freely talking to them as they load boxes. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh, huh? <laughs> or, or, or as they instruct people to, they're, they're the manager of some warehouse and they're telling people what to do while they're asking, a- answering questions about uh, a murder case. Yeah. And it's like, you know. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's. That's probably to, to make more interesting television oh, rather yeah. than just having three that's, talking heads. That's why it's it not real. Yeah, there's but, some but activity you, you gotta, going on. You can't, you can't have a guy sit down and go, you're here for what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know this person. I'm not talking to you. Get out of here. You know, so, or, you know, somebody died? Really? All right. So then the I, I want to right, follow right, up. Rather, so rather that, than my other question. Let me throw it back to you, Ed. That okay. was just my uh, unsolicited Ra- caveat. Rather than my other question, Abe, since I'm going to follow up on what t- Tim was just saying, because on those kinds of shows, now listen, I'm a law and order. I'm not talking about the show. I'm talking about I believe in law and order. Right. I want bad guys put in prison. Okay. But I find myself constantly watching these shows telling the suspect, Will you please shut up? 
Stop. True. Stop True. confessing. Right, right. I remember this from Perry you got Mason. Ten minutes left, two commercials, yes. and you're telling on yourself. You're telling it. I remember this from old Perry Mason shows. Perry Mason's questioning them, and then, right. then they, break they break on the stand. Yeah. All right, I did it. Right. So, how often do suspects talk themselves into prison? <laughs> That's my question. Well, it, it, it happens more frequently than you're aware of, but it wouldn't be from. You know, a detective pulling up on the corner while you're unloading your seafood boxes <laughs> at the lobster restaurant. Right. But oftentimes in uh, confessions, like immediately after arrest, shortly after arrest, when the police are interviewing the suspects, um, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but uh, in public, uh, but in cross-examining defendants on the stand, you're never going to get like the uh, the yeah, order the code red, you know, yeah. kind of deal, with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> but which, what what I would often do as as a tactic would ask the victims like this: something that would happen invariably in like rape cases. All right, you're never going to get a defendant to admit that they raped a, a victim, but what you will get them to admit is that you know they're Casanova, Don Juan, ladies' man, and there's no one who can resist uh, their press. And surely uh, you can have any woman you want, and 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 they end up confirming various aspects of the trial yeah i was there at 705 p.m yeah oh she had a pink blouse on yeah i had on those timberland boots that i know that i have footsteps coming from her apartment that draped in blood things of that nature you get all the other ancillary details that convey to a jury that the only thing the guy didn't confirm was the fact that he did this against her will right you know and so you don't really ask the direct question did you do it you ask all these other things you say well yeah i mean we went back to the apartment we did this we did that we did that and then i would come back in closing argument and say now you heard from the defendant's own mouth he confirmed nine out of the ten points i said i would convey to you at the very opening statements uh which gives you an indication is it more likely or less likely than he did the very thing we're accusing him of and that is far more common than you know the yeah, I ordered the code red. <laughs> hey, let me ask you one other question. When is the FBI called in? Uh, because, uh, you know, this was a – was this because – were they called in – I guess they can be called in upon request. But this yes. was a murder case in the state of Idaho. But the uh, alleged um, perpetrator here lived in the state of Washington. Just 15 mm-hmm. minutes away. Yes, Pullman, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where Washington yeah, State. Yeah, right so, across the state line. Mm-hmm. And, and was a student at uh, Washington State University, 15 minutes from the University of Idaho. Uh, is that why, or, or, or what What do you think? Why would the FBI be called in to a, to a murder? Yeah, two reasons. Sometimes when you have investigations that cross state lines, you, you ask for FBI help because sometimes local police jurisdictions don't have the authority to do things in other uh, geographic locations or jurisdictions. And in addition to that, when you have, if you have like a, a smaller law enforcement agency uh, that may not have as much experience in homicide investigations, they sometimes ask for FBI support and help in order to process scenes and to process uh, evidence and things of that nature. And so by request, the FBI can consent to aid local law enforcement agencies. But sometimes there's turf wars, right? Mm. Yeah, very often. And, and depending on depending on the jurisdictions, I, I've had cases that I've prosecuted uh, that were FBI cases from the onset uh, 
Uh, but they they said, well, and this particularly this one example I'm giving now is in the state of Texas. Said, well, the state laws in 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 Texas are far more stringent than the federal law. So we want you to prosecute this case because you can get you can slam them harder under the state law than we could under the federal law. And so you have that. Sometimes we have choice of jurisdictions. Usually you you have cooperation, but you do have instances where you have turf wars. Unfortunately, uh, one other question. We'll let you go. Do you think they? Uh uh, if you don't, if you don't want to answer this question, that's fine. Uh, you can plead the fifth. You know what that is, right? <laughs> You're a yes, constitutional lawyer, yes, okay? Because I do. I know what the fifth is. Uh, so uh, I'm going to ask you: Do you think, in this case, that the uh, authorities have the killer? It would be hard for me to say that because I don't know what other other evidence, well, all they had, what led up to submitting the information okay. to the genealogy database. There, okay. there are other specific facts that would lead into even that submission that I would surmise that the the, the law enforcement agencies uh, ascertained in their investigation and led them to even do that. Okay. Well, I'll answer my own question, uh, and I'll answer it in this way. Of course, like every American accused of a crime, the, the fellow uh, – Deserves his day in court and will get his day in court. Brian Kohlberger in this case. But as Ed and I said earlier, uh, he, he publicly, at least the pictures and the videos that we've seen subsequent to him being arrested, do not show me a man who feels like he's been wronged in the sense that you're going, what? You know, I'm, I was at the Dairy Queen, you know, or I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. I've never even been to the uh, University of Idaho. I don't know who these people are. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some yeah. kind of things yeah. where instead he's just um, showing no little or no emotion. Uh, he well, just, some, a similar thing happened at, at my house okay. uh, over the, uh, the leftover wings uh, over Christmas break. My wife accused me. Right. Of, I'm not you making had no light, emotion? I'm not making light of the murders, folks. Please yeah, don't. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Please don't. I'm saying, I'm, you know, I probably should Better stop. stop. I just stop. Yeah, I just stop uh, because we're. All right. All right. Thank you, A. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Thank you all. Okay. That's Abraham Hamilton the third Coming up on Law & Order, the wings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I would do an ESPN, <laughs> not Law & Order. How do you do Law & Order? I think it's just dun dun. Okay. I don't know. I, you can't really imitate okay, it. Okay. I think we've had enough separation here. Tell us the rest of the wings. No, I was, I was kidding. I was just saying, you know, when my wife accuses me of eating the leftovers, right. I, 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 I get emotional in my defense. It but, was not me. But there's there were only other two people. people that go to the fridge. No, there was my daughter's here. Oh, Our okay. son came to visit okay. with the grandkids. Right. So, okay. how do you assume that it's me? Yes. I, I well, get it's, the, it's, it's the barbecue sauce on <laughs> your mouth, Ed. Right. <laughs> dun dun. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm always, uh, always on those shows, you're right. The, the killer ends up confessing. Yeah. Uh, I, but I still love watching those old Columbo shows. Oh, oh. The, uh, he was the master. Oh, man. Uh, you can still find those on TV sometimes. Yes, uh, but no. I and and he's that. That's a voice that I. I, I Peter I, Falk, right? Yes, yeah. Peter Falk, uh, Columbo, and that whole. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to try to figure out a way to imitate him, but I can't. I just can't do it. So, but the 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 uh, the, the uh, what do you call it? Uh, the card 
cut the, the cut to the chase sort of uh, moment in that in that TV series was if you were a fan of the TV series Columbo is probably about uh, 30, 40 minutes in to the show. Because they were an hour and a half. Usually. Yes. Or were they an hour and a half? Yeah, they were but, an hour and a half. But halfway into the show is when Columbo and the uh, perpetrator, the killer, uh, are alone. And the and Columbo doesn't say, I, I know you did it, and I'm fixing to nail your rear end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But he says something uh, offbeat or unrelated or... Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. So-and-so, did you say you were where now? <laughs> it's that moment where Columbo and the suspect alone both know, he knows, I know. Yes. I d- he knows I did it, but uh, he's not telling me he knows I did it, but I know he'll be back. You see the look on the yes. perpetrator's yes. face. Yes. And yes. Uh, that is that is that yeah. that is the moment. Yeah. Up to then, he's a bumbling idiot. Yes. And the and the uh, the, the perpetrator Plumbo is, is perceived just, that way. Are, are you here again? Yes. You know. Uh, you know, uh, Columbo. What what are you doing here? And then there's that moment right. where he goes. Oh, he knows. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Yeah, that's what made it a great. And usually there was this Columbo. He puts his hand up to his head. Yes. Got yes. his eyes yes. closed. I, I, I just have one more question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're and right. Usually, to, that's what he's walking out. He turns around. Yeah, I, I just, know. One yes, more question. Just yes. one more thing. I, I, I got to more. master that voice. Yes, one more thing. And then the, the one more thing is the question that leads the killer to know he's on to me. Yes. Because I would uh, love to use that voice on my wife. Peter Falk, <laughs> Palumbo. As I'm walking out and just turn around and say, ah, yeah. there's one more thing. <laughs> He was was that his uh, Peter Falk was that basically uh, he was known for his Columbo character but is he starring another TV oh, show? Oh, he was in movies before. I think I saw him in a World War II movie. Yeah. He he he, but that made him. Yes. Yeah. 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 The, that that was what he was known for. Yeah. yeah the trench coat, I think, and the car. Oh yeah. That. The, I think the car is in the Smithsonian. Is oh, it really? I, I think so. Yeah. Because that. That car became that little. My dad, died a couple, my dad yeah, used to love to watch Columbo. Yeah, yes. well, it was a very popular show there. For it was clean. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and yeah, you didn't see blood, right? Blood, but uh, it was kind of the Agatha. Uh, was it Ag- Agatha Christie? She that yes. show. That, with, oh, my wife loves those kinds with of Angela Lansbury that yep. TV series. Mm. All right, we shall return momentarily with more. Uh, thank you, Fred. You're welcome. Steve Jordahl, uh, Steve Paisley Jordahl, <laughs> will be with us in five minutes. Ed and I shall return with Brother Steve. Stay with us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.